Hey folks, uh, some of the audio on this week's episode might sound a little weird and garbled and not up to our usual standard. Uh, we used a new audio recording service uh, that we don't normally use, and it didn't totally pan out. Use Zencaster, they said. It'll be easier, they said. So, there's egg on our face. Anyway, thank you for bearing with us, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's going good. I have um, decided to get into SCTV. So I picked up season one from my local library and I'm plugging my way through it. Uh, I also just watched Strange Strange Brew on Blu-ray. Strange brew, brewway, yeah, yeah. So, um, our good friends at Family Video are running mm-hmm. a really good Christmas sale because now, in the dark times that is twenty twenty, Blu-rays mean nothing, and and they can be <laughs> they can be obtained with a song virtually. So, um, I picked up Strange Brew, Strange blu-ray uh, <laughs> you, you physically a lot of other delightful uh blu-rays and dvds from our buds at family video who are out here in 2020 as a brick and mortar video rental store and they just have all of my praise god fucking bless honestly i sctv featuring by the way i'm doing my uh, uh schitt's creek rewatch so, uh, you what SCTV had Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara in the mix, like, yes. and and I think Catherine O'Hara is finally getting her due, but she's always been amazing. <laughs> yeah, she's like, very good in SCTV. She's fantastic. Honestly, uh, that's the, that's the thing about Blu-rays. When did it become so easy to get them? Because it used to be like DVD, like, you know, around like 1999, it was like now on DVD. And then, you know, if something is on DVD and not Blu-ray now, it's like jank as hell. But now Blu-ray is the standard. What's the next fancy one going to be? Well, it's already 4K. 4K is the new uh, uh, yeah. high-end uh, format. Uh, and just streaming. People are just giving up on physical media. Me, on the other hand, who's also... Uh, started an extensive VHS collection uh, where I also have watched numerous trailers touting the uh, wonders of DVD on VHS. <laughs> They're like, but but there's this movie called The Matrix, and if you watch it on DVD, we <laughs> promise it's going to look very good. Watching The Matrix on VHS actually sounds kind of dope, though. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. That's yeah. Um, so, by the way, I feel like I should plug. Uh, speaking of old movies on VHS, uh, over on our Patreon, uh, we just dropped an episode about uh, Sylvester Stallone classic uh, over the top. 
Yeah, classic. Fuck yeah, classic. Uh, so we we talked about that movie. Um, we're we're uh, going to be adding a bunch more stuff to Patreon. It's going to be great. Um, in in it, my uh, shipment of Blu-rays from Family Video, I also got Roadhouse. So I'm thinking yes. that might be our next uh, Patreon episode. Oh man, if we do Roadhouse, I feel like we should have Matt Wallace on with us because he he is like a a, a prophet of the movie Roadhouse. Like he has. <laughs> like a proper roadhouse uh, uh psychology like he it's it's a proper deep dive like that honestly that movie i forget every time that terry funk is also in that as well as over the top oh yeah he is he's he really was making his rounds yeah and apparently he was in those movies because uh joining the screen actors guild actually gave him benefits which as you know if you're a professional wrestler kind of Hard to come by, especially if you're like, you've been wrestling for roughly 90 years, like Terry Funk. Do you um, think that Terry, do you think Terry Funk is uninsurable? Yeah. <laughs> Under our current healthcare system? Yes. They would look at the topography of wounds that is Terry Funk's body and just be like, I, what, what are we going to do with this? Like every part, like you are a collection of accidents, like stitched together into the shape of a man. It's just one big wound. <laughs> yeah, it's... A, he's just a walking cicatrix. <laughs> yeah, like, and also I love that um, Terry Funk, I kind of want him to be my dad because of, like, how soft-spoken he is. Like, if you watch, like, Beyond the Mat, like, he's so, like, nice and kind of gentle, and also he's the guy that did the no-ropes uh, exploding ring uh, barbed wire deathmatch. So good. So, um, if you go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash rankandvile, you can hear us talk about um, non-horror movies for as little as $5 a month. So, there you go. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be adding a bunch more stuff. And, guys, uh, everybody out there who uh, is uh, a patron, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for, for helping us to do this ridiculous podcast. Yeah, your donations... Help us not only pay for hosting and uh, help us uh, make merch, but it also helps us uh, obtain movies that we can't get uh, otherwise. So uh, I just recently made an order with our buds at Lensdrip. So we're going to be able to cover some some uh, newer, more obscure movies, newer, older movies that are only available <laughs> On Blu-rays in back alleys. I mean, rarer than six six six. Beware, the end is at hand. Like, you know, I, I feel like I feel like that might be the the jankest movie we've done so far, which is why it's <laughs> currently at the bottom of our list. So, speaking of our list, let's get into holy shit, Quincy. I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, this uh, the movie we're doing for this week is a British horror classic, The House That Dripped Blood, from 1971. So this is an Amicus uh, production. And Amicus are better known as the Malto-Meal British horror uh, (laughs) production company. They're the Malto-Meal to um, Hammer's General Mills. Uh, Yeah. What I love is how they just use all of the actors from Hammer. So we have uh, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. Uh, we have... Um, John Andrew fucking Pitt. Pertwee. There's John Pertwee. There's, like, no actor that, like, wouldn't 
be bothered by crossing to the other studios. So they have they have all of them. Well, and uh, Amicus Studios, it's like this is like a program to keep Hammer Horror uh, repertory actors off the streets after school or something to like give <laughs> yeah. them something to do so they don't get into trouble. So um, I was able to watch this movie on Blu-ray, courtesy of our friends at Shout Factory. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm sorry, Scream Factory specifically. The whole uh, there we go. Shout Factory. So yeah. the Scream Factory Blu-ray has a really great um, commentary by Troy Howarth, uh, who we in the horror industry know as uh, big old horror nerd and author Troy Howarth, one of the few people that will sit down and write a book on Jalo film. Hell yeah. But he mentioned that after Peter Cushing's wife died, uh, mm-hmm. Cushing just took whatever role was offered for him. He became this, um, he, because he was in such mourning for his wife, the way he handled grief was through work. So he just became this major workaholic and would literally do any movie as long as his schedule permitted it, which is why he's in so many horror movies from this time period and why it totally makes sense that he's like, sure, I'll do the house that dripped blood. Uh, what else do I got going on? <laughs> yeah. And apparently, um, and this is, this is kind of heartbreaking. Uh, apparently uh, he really wanted to be, his wife was actually sick while he was making this and he wasn't able to like take off from the movie to go like visit his wife. So he had to just like work through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he was able to go like very shortly after, but he did not get many more <clears throat> uh, months with her after the, production wrapped on this movie yeah and yeah and and honestly like this movie it is so much like a repertory british horror thing uh but i feel that it uh, goes balls to the wall in uh in ways that hammer horror itself might not like this movie goes like full fucking grand guignol and it is now what's also incredible about it i do feel like i should point this out at the top of the movie the movie, The House That Dripped Blood, there is no blood in this movie. There is nary a single bit of blood. Now, the director, Peter Duffel, <clears throat> did want to call the movie The House That Dripped Blood and was actually very pissed off that his producer uh, changed the name of the movie on release because Ooh. he said this is not a uh, gory movie. It's very, it's, it's a gothic chiller uh, I really wish they didn't put the um, cover. The movie poster is Peter Cushing's severed head. They're like, that's really not what this movie's all about. It's a dark mm-hmm. comedy, uh, which is kind of lost with the title The House of Drip Blood, but it's actually a very funny movie in oh my God. multiple places. Uh, he's like, it's supposed to be lighthearted. It's playing a lot with goth. He wanted the name of the film to be The Death and the Maiden. He says also that makes sense because every movie, every segment, all four segments have death and a maiden in it. Whereas there is not one house dripping blood in any of the four segments. So it's like, at least if we had called it that, the title would have fit with the movie. Also, he's like, and I played the song, The Death of the Maiden, in the movie, because that's what I wanted to work. That was the working title. So it's yeah, like, it's... Uh, my producer really fucked me over by uh, uh, Milton Sabotsky, you know, fucked him over by changing the, the title of the last minute. 
Yeah, which honestly, though, if I'm going to be if I'm being honest, Death and the Maiden is a way worse title than The House That Dripped Blood. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I don't have the heart to tell Peter Duffel. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 can, I can understand being salty that, like, I've gone for this, like, gothic chiller thing. And here you are out here, like, uh, you know, trying to give people something tawdry. Now, what's, what's also incredible about it, though, apparently um, because of the total lack of gore in, in the movie, um, they were going to give this movie an A rating, which is basically PG uh, at the time in England. Yes, and it, it has an, the MPAA gave it a PG in America. Yeah. And what's incredible is that apparently they had to lobby, like they were worried that that would hurt um, ticket sales. If people saw that it was a PG movie. So they lobbied for it to get an X rating, which the film board like confusedly agreed to. <laughs> which like, is so buck wild that in Britain, they're like, Sure, whereas in America, you know, there's these, you know, horror stories of trying to get below an X, an NC-17 in from the MPAA and how mm-hmm. awful that is and how it's a arcane Byzantine process. Meanwhile, Britain's like, yeah, if you want an X, you can just have it. We don't really... <laughs> Ratings mean nothing to us. Can we also talk about for a minute while we're talking about the buckwild world of ratings, mm-hmm. uh, Quebec's rating system? What's their deal? So they are constantly. So this is what I have picked up as a rabid collector of physical media. Is a lot of North American releases have both the American, Canadian, and uh, Quebecois ratings on them. And mm-hmm. Quebecers frequently rate movies lower than everyone else in North America. <laughs> just for the drama? Just, just they're like, eh, kids these days. Life is suffering and pain. Uh, gee. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, this is Mad Max. Gee, it's fine. <laughs> God bless. Honestly, Quebecers, like, there's this thing, or excuse me, Quebecois, uh, th- there's this thing where it's like there's the 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 staid politeness of the of Canada with the like balls out nihilism of France that like it's like carbonated milk like there's something about it that's just like quietly unholy the the the, the synthesis of those two um, and yeah so and and the 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 house that dripped blood um, apparently uh, didn't do so good in uh, England but did pretty good in America. It's, it's it's rather great and it's wild um i do believe it has a cult following in britain because it did get several uh more releases than we have in america um the, sh- the shed that dripped blood the bathroom that dripped blood <laughs> but yeah the scream factory release is kind of like the first time i've ever heard about it but apparently mm-hmm. there was an anchor bay uh, release on dvd and a lot of the special features on this Scream Factory Blu-ray are archival because it was back when a lot of the cast and crew were still alive. So uh, they were able to, you know, wheel all these out. So clearly it mm-hmm. was popular enough to warrant a pretty decent uh, production. Uh, they, there's a really good um, amicus featurette on the entire making of the movie on this uh, Scream Factory release. So if you are like me and you really like 
uh, Blu-rays, uh, I highly recommend you pick this up from our friends at Screen. Yeah. Um, so honestly, yeah, this movie, I need to get it on Blu-ray because this is a movie that I think you want to have on hand for like an, an, my internet is out day. Um, so this movie uh, is an anthology uh, horror movie that's sort of, um, I feel like this is in conversation with the original movie version of Tales from the Crypt and like... Also an amicus release. So, so this is an ooh. unofficial... Tales from the Crypt sequel, uh, because Amicus figured out, oh, this four uh, episode, they're called portmanteaus because they all have a, a, a combining narrative, like mm-hmm. they all take place in a crypt and they're the tales about that crypt, or they're all in this house <clears throat> that's not actually dripping blood. But yeah, for some reason... <laughs> There's weird crimes going on in this house, and the movie starts with an inspector trying to figure out what's going on in this house and why people keep dying in it. Yeah. Now, what's I, I do feel like I should point out um, the fra- the framing device of the thing being um, there's this local uh, Barney Fife cop and uh, like a fancy like a a Scotland Yard inspector named uh, Detective Inspector Holloway, and so the house. Now, the thing about it is. The house is not actually to blame for anything that happens in this no, movie. The house has no cause. And and we'll get to the ending where they try to explain it and how it doesn't make a lick of sense. But yeah, it is it is You mean in a fourth wall breaking like turn toward the camera like so you've seen all the fucked up shit that's happened in this house. Maybe you'd like to move here. And it's yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> It, it's very much uh, like the Inner Sanctum movies where they begin with a guy saying, look at your neighbor in the theater. Every person is capable of murder. <laughs> it's like, let's not do this right now. Uh, it's, it's so much. So yeah, so the first segment uh, of the thing, we get, uh, there is a, uh, a shitty horror writer uh, and his wife. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to point this out here. He is significantly older than his wife. So let's talk about this. That the um, the script calls for his wife and him to be the same age, and there is a line where he talks about he's a young and up and coming actor, <laughs> but he's like the actor's like forty eight. So it was just a case of miscasting. Where they're like, eh, it's fine. Uh, they didn't yeah. bother going back and changing anything to make that make sense. They're bringing in like James Garner, like, God damn it, I'm a young writer in the prime of my youth. <laughs> um, and he's, yeah, so he's a, he's a horror, horror hound, which his wife informs. Now there's uh, the guy who's like the real estate agent, I guess, for the house that drips blood. Um, yeah. And he he looks untrustworthy, I think. He's got a, a sheen to his face that I don't really trust. Yeah, he's he's a little, uh, for lack of a better word, schlubby. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so he's yeah. hard to take seriously as like a real villain because I feel pity for him. He, he seems very down and out. He seems like he works on commission and the only house he can sell is this haunted one that murders everyone that lives in it. So he's really hard on his luck. His jacket's like three seasons out of date. 
his pants desperately need to be hemmed. He's just struggling. He's yeah, he's fucking going through it. And he, you know, he's trying to like, so hey, you know, this house has been through some shit. I just think that you should know. And the horror guy um is like looking at the bookshelf and he finds like the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe. And he's like, oh ho ho, this is perfect for what I do. And the real estate guy is like, what is it you do? And he's like, murder books. Um, <laughs> which I love that, like, the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe is supposed to be, like, a chilling auger of what's to come. I feel like if you're a horror writer and you move into the spooky house, you get what you fucking deserve, pal. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's 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 the worst thing to do. Never move into a scary house if you're a writer. If you look carefully, though, you can see there's a lot of books on filmmaking on that bookshelf as well, because I guess they just needed to fill out the shelves, and the director and the producers are like, uh, let's just bring our libraries from home and just use them a little stuff. <laughs> You've got like Clifford the Big Red Dog next to the Kama Sutra. They're like, I don't fucking know. Just make sure you get Edgar Allan Poe in the shot. I don't give a shit what else is up. Uh, yeah. Can we talk about the ashtray in this study as well? Oh, I didn't notice the ashtray. What was going on with that? It's a fucking hinged skull. So not only, oh. but not in the way that you would think. It's not like the the brain pan opens up. If you lift the, he lifts the top jaw and the entire thing opens up like the helmet of a, a knight. Holy shit. I didn't realize that that was an ashtray. I thought it was just like a cool hinged skull. Like, all right, I guess we've got that in the library. You know, just because. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you want it lying around. Um, now, what's incredible is that he's describing uh, the book that he's going to be writing. And he's describing it to uh, his his wife, who's like 19. And he's like on his deathbed at 80 years old going, I'm going to tell you about the horror book. Um and he tells her, like, the way that he describes it is the most uh, nine-year-old writes first horror story. <laughs> uh, where he's like, and this is my original character, Dominic. And he's a strangler guy who escaped the spooky mental asylum. And he kills people because he strangled them. And he laughed while he do it. And his wife is like, my God, that's brilliant. Where do you come up with these ideas? <laughs> So she's a real one for for uh, boosting this guy's fucking uh, self-esteem about these books. Now, we've got to talk about this. Uh, this turns into The Shining, but this came out in 71, and The Shining came out in 77, and mm -hmm. Stephen King even owns up to this in Dance Macabre. So he's like, yeah, I took that idea from The House That Drip Blood. Oh, are you shitting me? Say? to me that's inc I did, that's incredible so he just cops to it like yeah i thought a guy a writer going crazy in his house was a good idea for a book yeah <laughs> i mean he's he's right the shining's a banger it's a, it's which, a good book i had to say uh far exceeds the uh original inspiration <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know the inspiration you know it's nothing to sneeze at because uh this entire place now dominic um the killer dominic uh, sort of looks like a cursed member of the monkeys. <laughs> he looks like, um, and he's bathed in green lighting the whole time. Oh, hell yeah. Now, and the lighting in this movie, uh, I feel like it has no setting in between like sort of uh, drab sort of uh, mono, like monochromatic color schemes and like EC Comics ass big green lights flashing on the sides of people's faces. Oh yeah, it is either... Regular or green? <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> settings. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, regular and spicy. And he now Dominic has like fucked up teeth and a weird little like football helmet haircut, and he's just always just giggling away, just hooting and hollering. He is having a great time, and uh, the writer starts to hallucinate that he's seeing this character that he's like, you know, describing it like, "Wow, I just I'm writing this complex character who's the guy that strangles people and kills them," and it's just so deep and complex and I'm like I'm really getting into his head and then he starts hallucinating that he sees Dominic uh creeping around in the shadows and he starts to panic and his wife's like no there's no crazed killer lurking around the edges of your office and he's like but literally this guy is is creeping along the, just scooting against the wall like he's in some vaudeville act <laughs> He's like he's like Michigan J frogging it down the hallway. Like, hello, my baby, hello, my honey. And he's just like, I see Dominic, and his wife is like, You're crazy. There's no Dominic. And she gets him to like go see a doctor about this. Cause he's like, I don't know, Doc, I'm cracking up. I keep seeing this character that I'm writing. And the doctor's like, Well, you know, maybe Dominic is just a manifestation of your desire to strangle people. I don't know. Like, it's it's pretty if he's like if he's a hack writer, this guy is a quack doctor. I feel he's very he's deeply unhelpful. <laughs> like a, maybe you want to kill your fucking wife. I don't know. Um, now it's so the the other thing that is driving me crazy about this, I, Quincy. Can you can can you confirm every segment that takes place in the house that dripped blood is the furniture and furnishings all the same for every segment? They, it is fully furnished. You just have to please take this house. They so the filmmakers must have had this house as a filming location for like a weekend, and we're like, "All right, y'all, we got to fucking shotgun through this. We got to get these takes out of here because we we got to be we got to be gone by Monday." So, like every like in in universe, is it that the house comes fully furnished and everyone's like, "All right, I guess I got a pretty bitch and Tiffany lamp and a green rug now." So you know how um, when when you're house shopping, uh, or if you ever try to sell your house, the realtor's like, "You got to stage it. You have to make it look lived in because people mm-hmm. don't want to buy empty places." Um, right. To the extent where one time when I was shopping for my home, I went to a house that had uh, furniture photoshopped into Zillow. And when we got there, the furniture was not there and the house was in horrible disrepair. God bless. Did they think you wouldn't notice? <laughs> it, it it worked though. We looked at the house, but then immediately <laughs> just kind of laughed and were like, no, we're not buying this. Man, that's, that's fair actually. It's, it's honestly, I think my favorite Zillow postings are the ones that are like, they it's like the person writing it knows how bullshit it is but they're like you know they're they're like the guy from the polter from they're like the guy from poltergeist going like it has good bones like they're just <laughs> they're trying to like give you the most optimistic version of this fucking thing and it's just it's not it's not fooling anyone so we come to find out that dominic is is actually shimmying around this house <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, uh, this this murderer is just Millie rocking in the shadows, and he starts... Now, uh, the, the writer guy um, hallucinates that he sees Dominic strangling his wife, and so he's like, oh no! And so he hobbles his, like, octogenarian ass into the kitchen, 
to to save her and then there's nobody in there and then she's like screaming like it was you you were strangling me uh and he's like oh shit i guess i i guess that uh really reasonable doctor is right and maybe i do want to strangle my wife i don't know i didn't um, think about it but now that you planted that in my head sure <laughs> <laughs> oh, i could see it now yeah uh, and he goes back to the doctor and, and the, it, it's actually, this is so fucking funny. Um, he, it's like a classic, it's like a rude impersonation of therapy where like somebody is like lying down on a chaise lounge and like staring at the ceiling and not looking at the doctor. Um, and the doctor is talking, he's like, so did you kill your wife? And a writer guy is talking to the ceiling like, you know, I think I might be cracking up because I'm too close to this book. And in the middle of this thing, the doctor gets fucking strangled. <laughs> um, and Dominic is just like, ain't I a stinker? And the, you know, the, the scene cuts. But my question here is what happened? Cause it cuts before anybody leaves the room. Did Dominic go like, all right, well, I guess I better be hitting the dusty and just like walk out. Or so Dominic is actually the writer's wife's boyfriend. Who's an actor preparing for a role mm-hmm. but then he gets too deep into the role and strangles his girlfriend and that's the end of the movie yeah yeah oh that's right i just remember that dominic killed writer guy in the office as well and yeah and you know, he then comes... dominic comes back and the girl's like oh thank goodness now we can be together and he's like yes it it really was fun and gosh your neck is so chokeable <laughs> You're looking very stranglable today. And yeah, like that's that's what it is, is that it's it's a very easy comics ending, which is like, where she's like, Tom, what are you doing? And he's like, who's Tom? I'm Dominic. Da, 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 da. And he just, you know, kills her because he's gotten uh, too into the role. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's the first segment. It's kind of slow, the first yeah. segment. But it's almost like they uh, they researched climactic order because they put this one first and then continued now we had to talk about the fact that robert block was the screenwriter of this movie oh no shit yeah oh that makes a lot of sense i I, actually now that you mention it i can totally see that yeah so it's very psycho and and also the ending of ah yes now let me explicitly explain why i am doing every single thing that i am doing yeah that that part of psycho where a guy explains the plot of psycho at the end of psycho like it's (laughs) yeah it's important that the the audience can follow the bouncing ball um the second segment is uh peter uh actual cushing our our uh, our hero our savior um the uh, the mighty peter cushing is in the mix movie he is sad He's very sad because uh, his wife is dead. Yeah, so he just listens to old records and um, wanders around. And then one day while he's out walking around, he finds a wax museum. It's it's like a wax museum slash like it's like if uh, the Museum of Death in Los Angeles like opened up a kid's section with wax statues of like Albert Fish or whatever. Um it's it's uh, it's like a curiosity cabinet, I think, where it's just like sort of weird, spooky shit. And he's got this collection of uh, killers who are wax statues of killers because he's like sort of looking toward the camera. That's all anybody wants to see these days is killers. Um, yeah. So so Cushing is talking to the, the wax museum owner and he's like, do you like my Salome? 
with this guy's head and he's like that woman looks just like my wife except the budget of this movie was approximately um a halfpenny so <laughs> the wax figures look like no human being has ever walked this planet her head Quincy, are you are you watching this current season of Great British Baking Show? No, unfortunately, they did it. They did a challenge uh, at the start of the season where you had to bake a cake that looks like a, one of your heroes. So you have to make it look like a human head with like facial features, and it was the worst challenge. Like everybody just made fucking abominations against God, uh, and it was wonderful. But so her all head... of a sudden, Great British Baking Show has become nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, completely. Like this episode, nobody did well on that challenge because it's like a nightmare challenge to like bake a cake that looks like someone's face and head. Um, and that's what that's what Salome's head looks like. It looks like a papier mache. There's like a, like one eye is lopsided, and they're like my and Peter Cushing is like my god, it looks just like my dear departed wife. <laughs> and it's oh, yeah, they actually. They could have gotten away with it, except that he's constantly carrying around an eight by ten of his departed wife, and he even holds it up to her. It's like, "Yep, this is exactly the same woman." <laughs> the spitting image, my God! You, he like closes his eyes and feels the face. Like, my God, it's you. Um, but so, I here's here's the thing. I don't mean to disparage any of our listeners who might be the proprietor of a uh, cursed wax statue shop. However. (laughs) However, I feel like if you're a guy with a non-zero number of wax statues, you're up to some shit. I don't know what... a single film where a wax museum comes into play that doesn't (laughs) have an owner dipping people into the wax. You know, really, it's guys like David... It's it's guys like David Warner and Waxwork that are putting small businesses out of uh, out of work like this guy, <laughs> his little passel of murderers. And he so uh, he's like, you know, everybody loves this statue. And, you know, Peter Cushing, all he does in this movie is walk around looking sad and listen to Death and the Maiden by Franz Schubert, like in his home by himself in a pretty bitchin' red cardigan, by the way, I need to point oh, out. I thought it was a smoking jacket at first, but that is a sartorial effect, I think, more suited to John Pertwee at the end of this movie. <laughs> like, it's so it's We so have much. to talk about the um, psychedelic freakout that happens when Peter Cushing falls asleep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets the psychotronic freakout where he's like... Uh, hallucinating about uh, coming to visit the statue in the middle of the night. It looks, the color scheme looks like House of a Thousand Corpses for like 20 seconds of this movie. Really? Um, you, could, you could dub over Rob Zombie and it would make total sense. Uh, ever since my wife died, I haven't been able to slam in the back of my Dragula, but this brings <laughs> it all back. Um, now, and so he becomes sort of obsessed with this this wax statue because of, you know, his his wife being dead. The the dream sequence was improvised. No shit, was it? Yeah, and Peter Cushing was, like, notorious for, you know, enjoying reading the script beforehand and preparing for his role <laughs> like a serious actor. And Peter Duffel's like, hey, Pete, can you just, like, walk around mesmerized? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> Cushing's like, I guess. <laughs> just like whatever. Just like whatever, man. Just like wh- walk around looking at stuff. You're thinking about a statue, maybe. 
that god you know peter cushing is a professional he shows up he wants to do his work (laughs) um now so his friend comes by uh which i assume he's like a college chum or something you know a bud yeah he's a he's a buddy uh and he is like coming to stay with his sad friend peter cushing and then while uh, the both of them are like going out for like an evening constitutional or whatever the fuck elderly british people do in 1971 um, they pass by the wax museum shop and his friend loses his shit like, oh, fuck, wax statues. And he just like barrels in there to go look at him. I also uh, like that his friend is wearing the height of 1971 fashion. His collar is so wide that he could hang glide across the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks he looks like the first version of Nightwing. Like he's it is it is a broad collar on this guy. Um, and so, uh, the friend, uh, becomes, uh, obsessed with the statue as well. And then he, as you might imagine, winds up dead. Um, the friend where he, uh, get, uh, what does he, he gets his head chopped off. Yeah. Yeah. With, with what was supposed to be a prop axe, but then Peter Cushing's like, wait a minute, that's a real axe. <laughs> yeah. Then, and- frail ass Peter Cushing does his own stunts and battles this wax owner throughout the wax museum his his work rate in this scene at his age pretty fucking impressive it's very it's very impressive we we should be so lucky to see um anyone fight as hard as peter cushing does in this movie yeah now, now, what it is is that the wax statue uh, museum owner, um, who's to- who would be totally reasonable otherwise, except for the fact that he owns a wax statue museum, um, he's like, you know, his 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 wife died, but every, you know, he was constantly getting cuckolded by apparently all of London uh, because his wife was super hot, um, and so he uh, encased uh, his wife's skull in this wax statue, which is apparently why everybody wants to fuck the statue. I guess because she's got good bone structure. I don't know. <laughs> Real estate agent voice. She's got good bones. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and now here's here's the thing. Also, she's this is Salome. You should have seen this decapitation coming, my guy. Yeah, it's really telegraphed. Yeah, and so Peter Cushing, uh, in some great like scream acting, the camera uh, descends on him. And he's just like no, and then. Cut to uh, people looking at the statue and him being like, look at Salome. And she's got the head of Peter Cushing on a platter. Yeah. Um, this segment kind of kicks ass, actually. It's very good. Interestingly enough, a lot of people don't like this section. And one really? of the main arguments is that the death doesn't happen in the house that drips blood. So it uh, it undoes a very shaky premise. <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, I can kind of, so much of this works for me because I personally love Peter Cushing and want him to be on my TV screen. Um, I do think that this, uh, this one is extremely, like, EC Comics sort of, we, this needs to end with Peter Cushing's head on a, on a platter, and a bunch of bullshit needs to happen in between, and what it is is that we're biding our time until that frankly great stunt sequence with Peter Cushing avoiding getting his head chopped off. And and I think anyone who gets grumpy at like the in the um 
inner logic of this film is missing the point because mm-hmm. it's just a vehicle for uh, Peter Cushing to get his head lopped off. Absolutely. And, you know, and he gives this role everything he can. Like, he's got, honestly, he brings so much fucking pathos to this role that it doesn't deserve because he's got, like, his screen presence is so good and his eyes are so sad. Like, he really does sell being this character. Yeah, it's it's very good. And next we get Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee? He's, oh my god. Christopher Lee in this movie. Now, I do need to point out, um, because Christopher Lee was on, like, a, a day trip from whichever Hammer Horror production of a Dracula movie he was in at the time, later on, um, you get... Uh, you get John Pertwee talking about um, old horror movies and he's like, you know, the good stuff like Dracula. I mean, Bela Lugosi, not that new fellow. And it's like, ah, I see what you've There's done there. multiple jabs at the heart, the British film industry in this movie. And I'm here for it. Oh, it's, it's so petty. Like I love inter-community drama that I'm not a part of. <laughs> <laughs> like I love standing by and seeing, it's like finding out that uh, apparently but uh, people who build boats using only wood and people who use boats using other materials, there is inter-boat community beef between people who use different materials. Oh, man. It, I just love knowing that. Wow. Yeah. So so Christopher Lee uh, is a... Uh, I guess you could describe him as a struggling single parent? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to see him as anything because he's so prim and proper he's got that royal air force posture and he's Mm -hmm. six goddamn feet tall so it's really hard to see him as anything but just like very firm british man (laughs) yeah and it's honestly what it is like the only i think this is a very austere british movie somehow the only person who has sort of uh like uh elo govna voice is the the barney fife cop framing the movie yeah yeah it's very posh so he buys the the haunted house and he's like yes this is a perfect place to raise my daughter (laughs) yeah and uh, so he his daughter is terrified of fire and he decides to hire uh sort of i guess a a sort of pseudo governess like teacher babysitter yeah teacher babysitter tailor spy yeah friend uh soda jerk i mean it was 1971 you know the economy wasn't great everybody was doing what they could um and she her 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 job at the start of this thing is basically to um help this little kid whose mom is dead uh learn how to not be afraid of fire she has uh, a horrible fear of fire yeah and he's like the the governess is like hey why don't you put her in school with children her own age and lee's like no she cannot go to school. And now the thing is, this, I mean, this movie is like pre The Omen. So maybe audiences weren't expecting for there to be like a deep, like a sort of like creepy child thing. But this yeah. kid is genuinely a straight up creepster from Jump. See, what I find fascinating is um, I was faked out because there is the fake out is Christopher Lee's like bad monster dad because mm-hmm. uh, he's Dracula. <laughs> but, he's fucking Dracula, I yeah. Mean, the governess buys this child a doll and he throws it in a motherfucking fireplace. He's like, no dolls <laughs> in the house. Power. Honestly, that was the bit where I was like, okay, look, I know that there's something going on with this creepy kid, 
you don't have to be such an evil donger, Christopher Lee. Like, girl, because he's like, there are three candles in the box. There were seven this morning. Where are the four candles? <laughs> yeah, and and so the 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 teacher governess babysitter lady sort of you know she doesn't know what's going on, but she she loves you know she sort of wants to nurture this kid. She sees that Christopher Lee is like a fucking maniac who throws a child's toy in the fire. Um, And what you eventually figure out is that now, and at at this point, Christopher Lee starts getting these sudden body pains um, where he'll just be like sitting in a meeting and then going, and like jerking his legs and like falling over. And he doesn't know what's going on. It's very acute for moments and then stops. Um, and what you figure out is that uh, apparently his wife who died uh, was a vivich. Um, yes, and and the daughter is uh, because this is a, a house with a library of scary books. Just finds <laughs> a book on witchcraft and reads up on it. Well, it's an incredible moment because like she's just like looking through the the, the book collection, and I guess she just finished paging through like a 1970 issue of Playboy or maybe a copy of The Little Prince or something or whatever was on hand and she was just like... And then just picks up a grimoire like it's just a regular book. <laughs> Blinking eye like Hocus Pocus. <laughs> yeah, this fucking eldritch tome. Uh, she throws Found it open. Flesh of virgins. <laughs> Inked in human blood. Um, oh my god. Although, uh, in addition of Clifford the Big Red Dog bound in human flesh, inked in human blood, that's pretty sharp. <laughs> Um, but so she throws the book open and it just, the word witchcraft is at the top of the page and it just like tight zoom, like, da-da, like, oh, okay. So it's witchcraft. <laughs> Thanks guys. Uh, and you find out that, yeah, uh, Christopher Lee's uh, dead wife, which by the way, when earlier um, he is talking with the babysitter and she's like, you know, are you lashing out at her because you're sad that your wife died? And he's like, no, I'm glad she died. And at this point, he just is, like, full monster. So you just assume, like, oh, well, you're just a piece of shit, I guess. Yeah, but then we realize that it's actually the child. So she makes a wax figure and tortures it with pins. And um, Christopher Lee is finally like, damn it, child, you're also into that uh, devil shit like your mom. So what's really fascinating is... Um, Britain has a history of wax figures specifically being like evil magical items. So really? there was a, a belief in sympathetic magic. So if you make a figure look enough like a regular person, then you can treat it bad and, and harm the others. So it's like, for lack of a better word, a voodoo doll. But in British history... People were uh, put in the Tower of London and killed for making wax figures and and saying they look like the monarchy. I feel like England generally has a, a weird relationship with wanting to make effigies of things and then destroy those things. Yeah, it's it's a very you know Guy Fox. Uh... Yeah, every every holiday over there has to involve the ritual burning of something. I guess. <laughs> Like they're just they're they're all in on it. And yeah, so and so she this little blonde Damien child has been torturing the shit out of this voodoo doll of Christopher Lee, um, and with a with a pen, and then at, around the point when the governess figures out which by the way, side note here, 
who taught this kid how to do witch shit? Is it innate? And she did she read the book? Like how did how does she know how to do all this is, stuff? Is it nature or is it nurture? That's a really good question. Or was her mom teaching her and then her dad burned her mom in front of her and then now the kid's like, okay, I'll do it too. Um, yeah. Lots of plot holes. It's yeah, it, it, there are a few inconsistencies. Although the thing is, the thing that tipped me off immediately that there was something kind of hinky with this kid is that um, the the babysitter um, to help her get over her fear of fire was like sitting with her in front of a fire and was like, you know, look at it. It cooks our food. It's really pretty. Look, you can see all kinds of shapes in the fire. If you look, it's, you know, doing the, the version of like, what does that cloud look like? And then eventually this kid is like, oh yes, I can see all kinds of shapes in the fire now. And you're like, all right, get would you get the fuck away from me, you little Satanist? <laughs> like, is mirroring her father throwing the doll in the fire. She just throws the wax doll in the fire, and then we just hear Christopher Lee scream off camera because he is also melting as this doll melts in, in the fireplace. At this point, like, it started to, the segments have started to ramp up a little bit, I feel. Oh, yeah, the, because the final segment features John Pertwee, <laughs> and they have pulled the blocks from behind the wheels. The Jeep is rolling down the hill. It is going <laughs> full breakneck pace. The Venga bus is coming, and everybody's running. <laughs> like, he, yeah, John, now, all right, so, so, holy fuck, so John Pertwee. Venga bus is coming, derude sandstorm blaring <laughs> from the <laughs> Holy shit. John Pertwee in this in this segment. Uh now apparently for the for the role that he plays in this segment, they of course reached out to Vincent Price first to be like, do you want to play this character? And apparently he was like booked already, so he was like, sorry guys. Um but the 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 part now John Pertwee I have loved uh since uh, I was a, a a teenager watching Doctor Who VHSs of the third doctor. Um he now was what's incredible about this his wardrobe in this and in Doctor Who, which he was starring in at the time, basically the same outfit. It's like he just walked across the street from one location to the other and was like, let's get going. Yeah, yeah. And his now his face is a rubber mask. It is incredible. So John Pertwee plays a, a, a legendary, I, I guess, scare quotes, legendary horror actor named Paul Henderson, who's just like a veteran of, of chiller movies. And they also make it a point that not only does he act in these movies, but he also is a uh, parapsychologist. Like he just researches <laughs> all of these things as well. Yeah, he's 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 a, he's a true eccentric, you know. He's traveling around to buy cursed tomes and uh, talk with like local sort of uh, uh, dealers in rarities. Um, and he's on the production of this movie, which is just like a straightforward Dracula movie. And I, I think what's great is like he talks about the name of the movie. He's like, "What a terrible name for this film!" And then like he looks at the audience like. <laughs> <laughs> The only oh. name worse than this could be the house that dripped blood. <laughs> the house that dripped Dracula. Yeah, it's he's John Pertwee knows what movie and in what segment he's in. He he's, is he's railing against the low budget. He's talking about how terrible uh, that guy who plays Dracula these days is. 
Yeah, well, what's what's also amazing is that he shows up to uh, the house that dripped blood, where I guess he is also living at the time, because we got to tie that in, um, looking like an, a 1970s pimp costume. Like, he's got the huge hat, he's got the blazer slung over his shoulders, he's got a cane, he just, like, rolls up on the house that dripped blood, and he's like, and so you've got the shady real estate guy being like, yeah, so as you've seen now in the motion picture, some shit's gone down. And John Pertwee is like, you know what? If I had known that, I would have come here sooner. I'm actually super into that shit. I, it's good to me, actually. Also, his girlfriend is played by Ingrid Pitt, who is best known as a busty vampire in a whole bunch of British horror films as well. It's good work if you can get it, you know? Also, Ingrid Pitt, I learned today... Uh, was a uh, fugitive of Nazi Germany and uh, escaped a concentration camp when she was just a little child. Um, huh. J- there is so, a short available about her childhood and that escape. Shit, I'm glad she made it and glad that she eventually got to do this. Yes, it's, like, it's, it's wonderful. Holy uh, shit. So what I loved is basically they cast Ingrid Pitt to play every character that Ingrid Pitt has ever played, which is yet again, (laughs) it's like that very knowing wink, like, hey, and now we have Ingrid Pitt as Ingrid Pitt. Yeah. And, and yeah. And John Pertwee is like, he's basically Roddy McDowell in Fright Night as Peter Vincent, where he's just... Now, I don't know that this character is gay because obviously he's got a girlfriend, but like, isn't he though? Like, if he's a legendary horror actor and he's this much of a diva and he's, he deals in antiques, like, <laughs> I just feel, I just feel like this character is, is queer coded. Um, and now, so the movie that he's in, he's like bitching about how cheap it looks and how shitty. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to take care. I'm going to take advantage of my extensive network of rarities dealers and find a better fucking vampire cloak. And so he goes to this guy named Theo von Hartmann, <laughs> who, who is just chewing the scenery for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> yeah, he is going hell for breakfast. Yes, <laughs> yes I can find you a Dracula cloak. Um, and he's got just these beetle brows to beat the band like he he looks like count von count um and he so he tells him like yeah i've got this great cloak you can have um and so he's like you you know you got to wear this Uh, what he gives does he give him rules for how to wear it is he just like have fun with my vampire cloak he so john pertwee tries to pay for it he's like no, please. I'm I'm happy to get rid of it. I can finally retire. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, me, a wump, a wump here, can finally t- turn back to the dust from whence I came. Um, and so he uh, he puts on the cloak, and he now John Pertwee is in his dressing room, and he puts it on and has no reflection, and then he's like, "Huh, that's fucking odd," but thinks nothing else about it. But then he's uh, shooting a scene with his girlfriend, Carla. Um, and he's like, supposed to be a, a vampire. And he's like, yeah, it's me, the vampire. And then they're like, okay, cut. And then he's like, actually just biting her. Yeah. And she's like, motherfucker, that's for the bedroom. Cut it out. <laughs> Boundaries, John. Boundaries. <laughs> um, and so Carla's like, stay the fuck away from me. And so 
uh, he later that night is like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to see what's up with this cloak that uh, Theo von Hartmann gave me. And he throws on the cloak. And what we get is some of the most gloriously rubber faced cartoonery I have ever had the pleasure to witness. What I also love is, uh, according to Peter Duffel, Pertwee is the one that's like, no, you have to do wire work. I have to be able to fly in this vampire cloak. <laughs> and the director's like, you know, he was at Doctor Who. I guess he knows what he's talking about. So we just let him. We had to do it for that other shot anyway. So we just threw him up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so he, he like sprouts these little things and is like, oh, fuck, and starts levitating like, not really flying so much as just gravity doesn't exist now and he's clawing the air like a cat, like, fuck, 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 fuck. Um, and he realizes that, you know, when you put the cloak on, you become a vampire? What I especially love is that they've chosen the wrong teeth to put the fangs on. Traditionally, vampire teeth are affixed to an actor's canines. Canines, yeah. But these are the ones, uh, these are the ones, like, on, right on either side of the front teeth. Yeah, like, between the canine and the and the, the front teeth. Just, like, sort of Nosferatu, but goofier. Yeah. Like, it's it's so much. And so the, the faces he pulls while coming to terms with this, it's magnificent. Um, later on, he uh, goes to his girlfriend and is like, hey, sorry about that time that I bit the shit out of you in front of people. And she's like, okay. Um, and, and he's like, okay, come over to my house, parentheses, the drip's blood. And he tries telling her like, hey, so this cloak is a vampire cloak. And if you put it on, you become a vampire. And she's like, bullshit, prove it. And he puts it on and nothing happens. And then uh, she says, gotcha, this <laughs> is the cloak. And she puts it on and she's like, I've been a vampire this whole time. Blah. And she eats it. <laughs> Well, and it's great because she's like, you know what? I'm I've I've been a vampire for a long time, and uh, me and the other vampires, we really appreciate the work you do uh, being <laughs> vampires in movies. <laughs> and she just like levitates up toward him to turn him into a vampire. And he's like, oh, jeez. And then so he, that's how we end. Is he gets turned into a vampire by his girlfriend. So then um, we snap back to the framing device, <clears throat> and the police officers are uh, interrogating. Uh, Mr. Stoker, the realtor. And at that point, they they keep saying, Mr. Stoker, um, you know, Mr. Stoker, how do you know all of these vampire stories, Mr. Stoker? It's like, you, you know, this is a family secret or something. Do you know anything about that? Excuse me, Mr. Uh, uh, Bam Stroker? Uh, Bam Stroker's Dracula? <laughs> Um, yeah, and so he's just sort of, you know, we get this bit of him being like, bullshit, I don't believe any of this. Uh, and so, uh, Detective Inspector Holloway drives to the house. He gets a goddamn huge candelabra like he plucked it from, like, Meatloaf's piano. What I love is he walks past smaller candelabras <laughs> while selecting the largest <laughs> candelabra in the room. <laughs> It's a, it's a power move for sure. Um, and so he, he finds his way into the basement, uh, which uh, obviously there's like mist and coffins. And uh, one of the coffins opens and out pops uh, vampire John Pertwee, which my question here, by the way, if he's not wearing the cloak, is he no longer a vampire? Well, 
he 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 was turned into a vampire. Carla bit him and turned him into a vampire. Right, but like if so, if Carla's not wearing the coat, does she is she still a vampire? Like, is it are you only a vampire as long as you are wearing the coat? Like, do they need to trade it back and forth? <laughs> like, know? is it like? Listen, you had access to the Dracula cloak last night, my guy. It's my turn tonight. I'm going to say no because they both show up in rapid succession, except they don't show up at the same time. So maybe? <laughs> maybe as he was dying, he like threw it over to her and she just like jumped into it. Um, John Pertwee gets staked pretty much immediately. Yeah. Which is another like, issue is that um, Duffel said this was uh, a case of the producers intervening where he wanted to do all this like artfully off camera with like shadow play and they're like mm. no you have to show uh, a vampire being murdered on screen speaking of shadow play i absolutely must point out the scene when carla is killing john pertwee or turning him into a vampire as she's flying up toward him and he's like no no she turns into a bat that just it's like a bat puppet just going <laughs> just like flapping over to him while he's screaming at the top of his lungs. It's very good. It's it it is just outstanding. Uh, and so um John Pertwee like does a five-star frog splash onto this pike and just dies instantly. Um and Carla, yeah, soon after is like also murder, and she turns into a bat again, which do you have to have like prolonged exposure to the cloak to have bat powers like do you have to have different accessories that give you different vampire buff it's like the different uh you you beat batman and then you beat cloak man and then eventually <laughs> you get enough to fight dr wiley exactly yeah that's yeah detective inspector mega man um <laughs> I, I forget does he so he gets murked by carla pretty quick right almost instantly and then we come out, you know, uh, retreating shot, and then Mr. Stoker's there, and he says to the audience, fourth wall breaking, did you figure out the theme of this movie? <laughs> I bet you did. And no, because the theme <laughs> of the movie is, it's not the house that's evil, it's that the house brings out the evil in people. Right, right. It's like whatever you bring to this house, that's what's going to happen to you. Um, and yeah, he he does a real like, you know what? Thanks for coming out to the house that dripped blood. Don't forget to validate your parking. Maybe move here and die uh, hoisted on your own petard. All right, thanks a lot. And then he just sort of like saunters off camera and that's the movie. It's, it's very good. Um, so th this movie rules so goddamned hard. Yes, uh, now... All, of all the other Amicus uh, pictures, the only one we have on the list is And Now the Screaming Starts. Also featuring Peter Cushing. Yeah. And and Peter Cushing, uh, I'm sorry, not Peter Cushing, that other guy whipping a skeleton against a dude. <laughs> Which is honestly the main thing I remember from that movie was just a guy just wailing on a tombstone with a skeleton. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. Um, looking at our list now, I love this movie very much. I'm okay. Quincy at number 30, we have uh, Christopher Lee classic, the wicker man, uh, from 1973. Also starring uh, Ingrid Pitt. Also starring Ingrid Pitt. Thank you. 
um, who does a pretty cool dance on the other side of a wall where she's like trying to sexually torture a cop. Yeah, you know. <laughs> God, I need to rewatch that movie. It's so good. Um, but so yeah, so at number 30, we have that. Um, which do we think is better, The House That Dripped Blood or The Wicker Man? I gotta go with The Wicker Man um, because yeah. I would also argue that as much as I like Amicus, it doesn't uh, exceed any of the, the Hammer Horror. As, you know, I, I really like Marshmallow Mateys, but if given the opportunity, <laughs> I would eat Lucky Charms. Frosted mini spooners are not an everyday food. Like you gotta have, you gotta have the real thing. I honestly, I've seen a lot of Hammer movies, and I think I like this one more. But I can acknowledge that it's a pale imitation of Hammer horror. So maybe like latter day Hammer horror, like The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, where Lee could not be bothered to be in the movie. <laughs> Bless. Yeah, agree. And also, I feel like with uh, if, if I'm comparing it to, uh, to The Wicker Man. Um, the first two segments are a bit of a snoozer. Like, it it takes a bit of time to get going. Uh, once it does, it's uh, just a fucking ball. So but... Dracula 1972 uh, from Hammer Horror is number 150. Ah, all right. So, honestly, I liked Dracula AD 1972. Um, because it's but... like, what if Dracula... In 1972. <laughs> <laughs> the swinging Dracula. And he just comes like, doo, 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 doo. Um, I feel really good about actually. So I feel like the house that dripped blood is better than Dracula in 1972. But I think that the legend of the seven golden vampires, Quincy, it's a Shaw brothers collab with hammer. Yeah. It has hopping vampires. It does. It also has <laughs> Chinese academics lambasting Hel uh, Van Helsing for believing in vampires. They're like, yeah. we're college-educated, advanced people. Yeah, well, and it's, it's incredible because Peter Cushing just looks like a fucking spud-faced rube in that scene because they're all just like, would you please take this fucking seriously? Like, <laughs> it's so great. So yeah, so I feel... Uh, so Quincy, do you feel good about uh, above Dracula in 1972 but below The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires? Uh, our new number 150, The House That Dripped Blood? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hell yeah. I feel really good about that. Man, guys, this movie is also... You don't need that crisp uh, Blu-ray release to watch this. It is streaming on, you guessed it, Tubi uh, right it now. It is not a sponsor of this show, believe it or not. <laughs> they, they ought to just give us an office at this point. Just, like, let us really start working for Tubi. Like, we already we already chill for them. My constantly. dream is, like, curated Tubi playlists like you go on the website and one of the categories you flip through is rank and file picks oh man that's that's genuinely the dream isn't it like just having your own little dedicated section on tubi of like hey have you heard about i uh, sorority babes at the Sli uh, slam ball bolorama ah uh? and just be I able to just have a button i want to believe that tubi has a vault when in reality, it's probably a desk drawer with like a hundred thumb drives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, this is this is canon. I've, I've decided that this is uh, this is this is the truth of Tubi. So yeah, so number one fifty, um, guys. You can find as ever Rank and Vile. We are on uh, all manner of social media. We are on Twitter at Rank and Vile Cast and on uh, Instagram at Just Rank and Vile and on Tumblr at Just Rank and Vile. Um, we have a Patreon. 
um, where if you want to hear us talking about uh, 80s action movies and a bunch of other stuff that we're going to be doing, uh, that's also patreon.com slash rankandvile. Um, Quincy, where else are we? We're on Stitcher. Where else? We're on YouTube. We are. We have merchandise still. If you go to rankandvile.bigcartel.com, you can get stickers. We're on Horror Fan, the horror dating uh, <laughs> website. Wait, there's a horror wait, there's a horror dating website. Yeah, and we have a profile on it. Excellent. So you can date us on the internet as well as downloading our podcast. Let's go steady. Uh, subscribe to us. <laughs> yeah, listen. If you want to bask uh, in in the warm glow of the Halloween lights and listen to the tie-in rap from Maniac Cop too, that's how you're going to get at us. That's, that's how you're going to make that happen. Under the uh, retractable awning uh, that was on the camper in uh, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, that's ex- honestly, yeah, yeah, date ideas for sure. Just out in the desert, just, yeah, being being out in nature. Oh, um, Letterboxd. We're on Letterboxd where uh, Ryan is curating wonderfully obscure lists of films you can check out. I've been, this is, this is my new fidget is, is Letterboxd where I'm just like, you know what it is? Side note here before we, we sign off. I do this stupid thing where when I watch a really good movie, I look it up on Letterboxd and look at the one-star reviews so I can make myself angry <laughs> at, at people who don't like the things that I like. So naturally, the progression of that to what I do now is like I actually leave reviews on, on Letterboxd. So yeah, so check us out on uh, Letterboxd as well as on uh, HorrorFan. Uh, but that is about all I got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks.